Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Sailing the East podcast. I'm Bela Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. This is our podcast about sailing the East Coast of the United States. In some episodes, we will focus on passages and destinations. In other episodes, we'll talk about boats, equipment, and techniques. And when we come across an interesting person, we'll try to get them as a guest on the show. Now, Bela, what makes this podcast unusual is that only one of us sails. Yeah, that does make it unusual and interesting, I hope. Uh, I'm the sailor, and I've been sailing for over 30 years. Not across oceans, but on lakes and coastal cruising on the east coast of the United States. And Bela, I am not a sailor. I know very little about sailing, but I'm curious. So I'm going to ask most of the questions, and you're going to try to answer. Now, Bela, we've had some beautiful weather here the last few days in Minster. Blue sky, warm temperatures, nice light breezes. Uh, And I was thinking about you. Did you make it to the boat this past week? I did. And we've had some gorgeous weather here as well. Although as I look out the window while we're recording this on uh, April 1st, it's actually snowing outside uh, lightly. We're not supposed to get any uh, accumulation, but it has gotten a little cooler. But yes, indeed, I did uh, get to the boat and uh, I got her uncovered. Now, Bela, we talked a little bit in an earlier episode about getting the boat ready for the winter, and this was an involved process. I was pretty impressed at how much work it was. What's the relaunching process like? Well, it's, uh, I think it's going to be as much work as getting her put away for the winter. Uh, so if you recall, uh, the boat is out of the water, and as they say, on the hard, which means that it's sitting in a large parking lot uh, of other boats. And uh, the boats are kind of put up on these stands that hold them off uh, the ground. And uh, I have a large canvas winter cover for the boat uh, that the previous owner had custom made for the boat. Uh, So step number one is sort of taking that cover off. Uh, Well, actually, I should take I I should go back one step. But step zero is uh, getting my step ladder out and climbing up the ladder to get on the boat. And to open the companionway, the companionway is sort of the door to the insides of the boat down below and uh, looking around because there's always the possibility that some critters uh, decide to make the boat their home for the winter. And uh, when we had our smaller boat, our Catalina 22, uh, that I had a trailer for and I kept in the backyard, uh, we used to have a big chunk of land in one of our previous homes, and uh, I used to keep it uh, in the back. And uh, it seemed like almost every winter, either some chipmunks or mice uh, would take up residence in our boat and uh, chew something up. Ooh, Bela, you know, that's one thing. We don't really have squirrels or chipmunks here, which is interesting. And when people see a squirrel here, they go nuts. They're like, oh, look at the little squirrel. And I've had the same experience with you when I lived in upstate New York was, yeah, no, varmints and rodents and, you know, to be, to be, this highly discouraged, right, from from right. My, my property and, and, and belongings. So I totally get this. And yeah, um, you know, if you ever wind up moving here, um, you can put your sailboat and know that uh, that there's not so many squirrels and chipmunks. But OK, so what was the result? Do you have any varmints uh, this time? Well, so I got down below, looked around and uh, there wasn't any. So that was great. Uh, And I think that since uh, the boat's on a large parking lot, it's not really on the edge of the woods. Uh, There's a lot of other potential homes for these critters to go into. Uh, uh, We did not have have any. So that was good. That was good news. However, you know, there's always something. So in the cockpit, 
uh, of the boat, which is under the cover. So there's a cover around it, but you know, it's not a tight fitting cover. Uh, I, there's in the cockpit, there's a folding table that kind of folds down when you're sailing. But if you're at anchor, you can, you can fold it up and it's a nice place to eat, uh, have some drinks or whatever. I have a canvas cover for that, uh, that keeps it out of the sun. And for the winter, I kept that canvas cover on it. Well, it looked like, I think it was a bird, uh, decided that they could fly in, you know, the openings of the cover and for whatever reason, peck away, it could fly in under the boat cover and get into the cockpit. And for whatever reason, decided to peck away at my table cover uh, because I think, uh, you know, it's made out of canvas and they probably figured it was a nice, soft nesting material. So I have a couple of holes in my cover that need to get patched. So that was the only only real thing I found. Can Bela, can you take that like to the sail maker? Like are there, you know, boat people that fix this kind of stuff? And is it very expensive to repair this type of canvas damage? Uh, uh, yes and yes is the answer to that question. Uh, canvas is a, is a big business in the marine world. Uh, because you have boat covers, uh, you have things that are biminis, which basically keep you out of the sun. Uh, so there's a lot of canvas on a boat. And uh, most marinas have a canvas repair shop right there at the marina, or I should say the bigger marinas do. Uh, and yes, it's expensive because it's custom work. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's like getting a custom suit made. They, they got to come measure things and et cetera. So I, I took the cover home with me, actually. Uh, back up to upstate New York, and we have a bunch of canvas shops around here, and I actually already dropped it off, and uh, the guy said, yeah, I can patch this up, uh, and, you know, it'll cost me 100 bucks or so uh, to get it done. Yeah. But, you but, know, it's la- labor-intensive. We'll take, we'll take a few weeks, you think, and get it back, or you have to wait all season? Oh, no, no. He said a, a couple of days because it's a small job. Cool. Interesting. Now, think, think, speaking of the cover, the cover for the boat itself must be really large, right? Because it's like a 45-foot boat. Do you get that thing off by yourself or do you need help? How does that work? Yeah, so getting the boat uncovered is one of the few things that I actually really need a hand with, uh, both covering it and uncovering it. Uh, I could probably struggle through it myself, but it would take three times longer. Uh, but fortunately, my son, Andy, uh, lives close to the marina, and uh, he came over uh, to give me a hand getting the boat uncovered. So the cover is actually in three pieces. There's a forward piece, a middle piece, and a piece uh, in the stern. So uh, it basically zips together. The three pieces zip together, um, and uh, it drapes itself over the over the boom. So that's sort of what holds it up in the back, and then it attaches to a halyard. A halyard is a, a rope that goes to the top of the mast, uh, so I can I can hold up part of the cover again. So you know it sheds the water in the snow. Uh, but we got it untied, folded, and actually loaded into car uh, in about an hour, maybe an hour and fifteen minutes. So that actually went better than I expected. Uh, that that went quite well. Okay, that's way faster than what I would have imagined. So that's cool. So you've got that down to a process. Now, I remember also uh, you were talking about the boat's name when you got the boat. And, you know, sometimes you change the name of the boat. But when the boat changes ownership, a lot of times the boat name changes. And I remember you were kind of trying to decide what to do. What did you decide about the name of the boat and how did you deal with that? Yeah, so we, we did change the name of the boat. And uh, we actually picked the name back when we bought the boat because when you the boat changes hands and or title, I'll call it, uh, the boat is actually registered with the United States Coast Guard. So in the, in the U.S., there's you can register your boat with the state, or if the boat meets certain criteria, you can actually register it with the U.S. Coast Guard. Uh, 
Uh, and when you register it with the U.S. Coast Guard, they want to know the name of the boat uh, uh, because the name has to be displayed on the boat prominently. So at that time, we decided to, ch to change the name of the boat. Uh, the original name of the boat was Magic's Ride. And it turns out the previous owner, the person I bought the boat from, was a helicopter pilot in the U.S. Marines. And I think as most pilots in the military, they, they end up with a code name or a nickname. And uh, his nickname was Magic. So he named his boat Magic's Ride. And we decided to name the boat Paradox. Um, it has multiple meanings. Uh, and uh, I'll let you see if you can figure one of them out. But, uh, you know, paradox is sort of a good word. And uh, so we, we named it Paradox. And uh, so you can buy uh, vinyl lettering, you know, self-adhesive vinyl lettering from places that make that stuff, design your font. And uh, the hardest part of changing the name was actually peeling the old name off because it had been on there for like nine years. And uh, that took us quite a while. And there's uh, plenty of YouTube videos to show you how to apply these vinyl lettering. And that went quite smooth. So putting the name, putting, there's a name, the name Paradox is on the stern of the boat uh, on the port side and the uh, starboard side. So that's right and left sides near the back. It says Paradox. And then across the stern of the boat, actually, uh, the other thing that you have to have for a Coast Guard registered boat is the port of call, meaning where does the boat typically sit? Uh, although that's, you know, some I've seen people with boat names or boat port of calls that are, you know, like Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. <laughs> so it clearly doesn't need to be next to water, but there's some meaning to that. I'm not sure what it is, but for us, it's Barrington, Rhode Island. So we put that name across the back. So, uh, yeah, so that got, that went fairly well. It took us probably a good two, two and a half hours to do that. That took longer than I expected, but the part that took a long time was getting the old name off because it was pretty stubborn and it had to use some solvents and scrape away. Uh, but yeah, hopefully it, we don't do that it's again. It's like a bumper sticker, right, on a car. It's exactly yeah. like a bumper sticker. <laughs> yes. Now, is there also a number, like a license plate number? Like sometimes I see numbers on boats. Is that part of this deal too, or is that separate? So there is a number. Uh, and the, for Pleasure Craft, uh, that number needs to be displayed. Uh, I could put it on the outside of the boat. But uh, for pleasure craft, it needs to be permanently attached somewhere on the boat. So there's actually one of those. Uh, you see them oftentimes uh, in front of people's houses, but it's a piece of wood that was carved out with this number. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's a foot and a half long and three inches tall. And uh, that is actually permanently glued to the hull of the boat because uh, that's what the Coast Guard requirement is. So yes, it's it's there is an official registration number, and that number does not change. So once you register the boat, that same number gets transferred from owner to owner to owner to owner. Okay, so you can change the name, but not the number. That's correct. That's correct. Got yeah. it. So and if you wanted, if you decide to change the name again, this is like a person. Like I've got friends, and sometimes their kids aren't well behaved, so I would threaten them. Look, I've got the paperwork to change your name to something completely ridiculous, right? And your parents have agreed to sign it. I'll pay the 140 bucks, <laughs> and I'm going to take it to the court if you don't eat your dinner and be quiet, right? And uh, and that works. It's a anybody can borrow that if they want. It's a very effective tool. Uh, you just have to be willing to follow through. And of course, those kids knew that I would be happy 
to go to the court and have their name changed to, you know, ridiculous the third, right, or something like that. Um, and, and that was a it was a credible threat. But so it's the same thing. If you want to change the name again, just go to the Coast Guard, file the paperwork, pay a little bit of money, and then just get new, get a new sticker. That's correct. Yep. Okay. Yep. Changing the name is is pretty easy. Just cost you a, a little bit of money. Yep. Interesting. So, uh, so all right. On the technical side, what were the what were your initial challenges? Ah, uh, yeah. So let's see. What other things did we do? Uh, we so the batteries. So the the boat has uh, several batteries on the boat. So we charged the batteries. Uh, we kept the batteries on the boat. And um, I kept them disconnected. So some people talk, you should take the batteries off the boat. You should leave the batteries on the boat. Sometimes you should disconnect them. So there's all those various uh, conflicting uh, suggestions or help that you can get on YouTube or forums. And uh, I decided to keep the batteries on the boat. Uh, I disconnected the batteries completely uh, from, from everything on the boat. And I brought out some extension cords with me uh, when we went to the boat. Um, to get it uncovered and a couple of battery chargers and I plugged those battery chargers in and I kind of gave the batteries all a good charge because uh, they've been sitting now, you know, since uh, October, uh, not having any charge put on, on them or anything. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So, okay, you deal with the batteries. What's the next tax task? Oh, one other quick thing about the batteries. So, yeah. You know, it's a big boat, so it actually has three separate batteries on it. There's a, a starter battery, which is sort of a, a slightly larger version than your car battery, uh, which is used for starting the, the engine and the generator motors. Uh, looks just like a car battery. Uh, and then there's two other large batteries that are called the house batteries. And, and this is for powering everything else. So like the lights, the radio, the GPS, uh, and these batteries, you know, I can imagine if you're do, go, going on a four or five day cruise, um, you, this is, these batteries are going to power everything for four or five days for you. So they're rather large. Uh, they weigh about a hundred pounds each. Uh, so they're not easily removed from the boat. That was another reason for keeping them on the boat because uh, I, I'm not even sure how I'd get them off. Uh, there's another thing I would need help at least one other person with for. And they're about 500 bucks a pop. So you want to take good care of them. And uh, so, yeah, I just want to say those a few other things about those batteries. So I put the chargers on those. They all look like they survived the winter okay. And uh, they should be good. Okay, cool. So you got the batteries squared away. What's next? Yeah, so then there's a, a, a change the boat zincs. So what? Yes, yes, we have zincs on a boat. So, do you, did you take uh, chemistry in high school, Mike? I, I did, but that was a long time ago. Yeah, Bill. well, you, I remember doing the experiment where you take two dissimilar metals and you put them in salt water or some ionic solution, and you fundamentally have a battery because the, the, the electrons from one move easily to the, elect, to, to the other one. And uh, so you have, a, you have this problem on a boat. <clears throat> And uh, our boat's made out of fiberglass, so the hull's not a problem. But the propeller shaft is stainless steel. And the propeller is made out of bronze. And I think bronze, if I remember correctly, is a combination of brass and a few other things. So when those two things are bolted together in salt water, uh, the bronze tends to dissolve. 
and deposit itself onto the stainless steel. So okay. uh, what people have figured out is that you, you put a sacrificial piece in there that's even more active, I'll call it, has more, dissolves even faster than the bronze. So those are typically made out of zinc or aluminum. And uh, so you have to change those every year because sacrificial, they sort of go away. So I had to take the old ones off and I had to bolt these zincs onto the propeller shaft. And so that the zinc corrodes and not my propeller. I never thought about this before, but it all makes sense. And I mean, I know just from being a homeowner, which I'm not anymore and I'm thankful, but I remember the sacrificial rod that goes into the water heater, right? Same kind of idea. Same exact idea. So, so this totally makes sense. And, you know, vague memories of, uh, chemistry in 1985, you know, which I'm sure is before most of the listeners were born, but, Mm -hmm. uh, but it all makes sense. Now, what about the hull of the boat? Okay. I remember you telling me that minimizing resistance and drag were important and I totally get that, but is there any prep work related to this aspect of sailing? Yeah, so there's a few other things I have to do on my next trip because uh, doing the batteries, the zincs, uncovering the boat, changing the name was about all I got done on this trip. So Mm -hmm. for the next trip, uh, I need to wax the hull. uh, And the part that gets waxed is the part above the water line. Uh, So I have a a buffer. I'll go around and I'll I'll wax that. And then there's uh, uh, the bottom of the boat will actually get painted. I'm having the yard do that because they put some nasty chemicals into the paint on the bottom so barnacles and seaweed doesn't grow on it. So that needs to be sanded. And uh, I think it's just one of those things that I'm happy to have them sand it, do all the dust containment and all of those things that they need to do, uh, and then have them paint the hull. So they're going to do that. Again, hull underneath the water. And uh, then there are these things called through hulls in a boat, which are basically holes in the hull of your boat. <laughs> and uh, they're, they're, they have a valve on them, but you know it, it brings uh, in water to cool the engine, for example. Uh, it brings in uh, water for the air conditioner to work. Uh, so there's a handful of these. There's some instruments that go through that, that tells you how deep the water is. There's another one for the speed. And uh, you just got to make sure that all of those are closed because when you take the boat out for the winter, I often open a lot of those things to drain the engine water out, et cetera. So I got to make sure those are closed because when they put the boat back in the water, you don't want those to be open because yes, indeed, the boat will sink. <laughs> and I think, I think I've seen these. These are small holes, right? They're not big, giant, gaping things, right? Yeah, they're you know an inch to two to maybe three inches in diameter. With a valve, okay. with a ball valve, you know, a quarter turn ball valve on the inside of it, and uh, typically attached to a hose that goes someplace. But yeah, I've it, seen these a few times, and I've seen boats out of the water, right, when they're on sure. the, the, the lift, the crane, or if they're sitting on the, on the blocks or whatever. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, what else? Yeah. And then the, I think the last thing I need to do before she pops into the water, because there's some things you got to do before it goes into the water, right? Other things I can mm-hmm. do once it's in the water. I want to install a prop shaft rope cutter. A what? <laughs> a prop shaft rope cutter. Okay, what's a what's a prop shaft rope cutter? That sounds <laughs> yeah. a little bizarre. So, uh, you know, when you're uh, sailing around, particularly in New England uh, and in many places along the coast of the uh, United States, the East Coast in particular, the Chesapeake Bay, there's lots and lots of crab pots and lobster pots around. 
and you know they all have a buoy tied to them so the the fisherman knows where they are located and they usually grab that buoy and that's how they pull the pot up to check to see if there's any crabs or lobsters in it well a lots of times uh these uh you encounter them while you're out sailing and uh they're sometimes they're not very visible particularly if it's dark if it's dark you can't see them at all or if it's wavy uh, sometimes you, you won't see them until you're right on top of them. So one of the things you don't want to happen is you don't want that rope uh, or line to get tangled around your propeller. Uh, because if it does, uh, it's not going to untangle itself, number one. And number two, if your motor is running, uh, you'd be surprised how strong even a, you know, a three-eighths piece of nylon line is. It'll stop your motor and it can cause all sorts of damage. And if you might find yourself in a situation where all of a sudden now you can't maneuver, you can't steer the boat, you can't do anything, right? So it's, it's a bad, bad situation to be in. So they make these little gizmos that you can attach to the prop shaft, the shaft that turns the propeller. You attach it right in front of the propeller, and it's got like a serrated edge on it. Uh, there's various different designs, uh, and uh, you attach it there, and that way... If it, a rope gets wrapped around it, the theory is it kind of cuts the rope. Um, and so your engine can keep working and you can keep having steerage and propulsion and all those types of things. Uh, so I got to put one of those on. I ordered one and uh, the boat didn't have one. Uh, but to me, it's sort of like an insurance policy, right? Yeah, they're expensive. Uh, it's going to cost me several hundred bucks for one of these because they're made out of stainless steel because you can't, they can't corrode. And they have sharp edges on them, et cetera. Um, but to me, it's like an insurance policy because sooner or later, I'm going to run over a crab pot or a lobster pot and I'm going to get a rope tangled around the propeller. <laughs> so that's the yeah. last thing I got to do. That makes sense. I, one of my few sailing trips, Bela, I was up in Maine and it was that. It was wavy and we came up on the wave and then we came down kind of right on top of a, of a lobster um, rope and it got caught in the propeller and it didn't have one of these devices and it was a big hassle. So yeah. I could see how dropping a couple hundred bucks, especially if you're going to be sailing up where there's crabs and lobsters, that this makes a ton of sense. Uh, interesting. Well, that's a lot of work, Bela. I mean, I'm tired just thinking about it, but it's a labor of love, isn't it? Uh, it is. Uh, you know, it's a it's a hobby. It's like many things we do for our our enjoyment and pleasure. Uh, you you got to be into it and you got to get satisfaction from it and brings me a lot of satisfaction. So I enjoy doing it. Nice. Well, on that note, I think it's time to wrap this episode up. So just kind of to summarize, we talked about the process of getting the boat back in the water, everything from going and getting the covers off and checking for animals and making repairs to taking care of the zincs and the, um, and taking care of the hull, deciding what you're going to do yourself versus what you're going to have a shop do. Um, and even learned about, uh, prop shaft rope cutters that was a new one for me Bela. so this was great so listeners thanks i hope that uh you enjoyed this episode and found our conversation interesting and thought-provoking as always if you have questions about what we've discussed please get in touch with us our email is sailing the east that's all one word at gmail.com and if you enjoy the podcast please let us know we love hearing from our listeners or better yet tell a friend or if you want, write a review in iTunes or your, on your favorite podcasting application. So until next time, signing off from upstate New York. See you soon, Mike. That's great, Bela. I can't wait for our next adventure from over here in Münster, Germany. Auf Wiedersehen.
Thank you.